Welcome to Infection Prevention Spotlight with Certified Infection Control Nurse, Kara Mullane. Welcome to the Research Behind Infection Prevention, where Dr. Mohamed Yassin provides tough questions to top researchers and leaders in their field. This podcast, it's a collaboration between Infection Prevention Spotlight and the American Journal of Infection Control. If you're interested to find out more on any of these topics, please go to the September 2020 edition of AGIC. Today, we have a bit of a twist. We are not interviewing a top researcher. We're actually interviewing the new chief editor of the American Journal of Infection Control, Dr. Patricia Stone. We'll give her insight on the journal and what we can expect under her leadership. We will also be sharing the summary of two very important publications in AGIC about C. diff prevention. The first from Dr. Kathleen Julian from the Penn State Hershey Medical Center, and the second from Dr. Paul Cook from the University of East Carolina. So please stay tuned. Great, so let's get down to the interview. Pat, what is the main interest and direction of the American Journal of Infection Control, or AGIC as we all know it? AGIC, the American Journal of Infection Control, Dissemination and Implementation Science for Infection Prevention and Control, is the professional journal of APIC. And so our main interest is to provide the science for the practice of infection preventionists. And that is the direction that the journal has been headed for a long time. And even though I'm a new editor, I don't expect any change in that direction. We want to be your go-to journal for infection prevention. That's so great, Pat. Thanks so much. Now, moving on to question two. What do you think is the main importance of the AGIC journal for infection preventionists? and for the field of infection prevention, locally in the United States, but also worldwide. The main importance of AGIC for an infection preventionist is to understand the science that really um, supports an evidence-based base for your practice. Of course, that's how do we decrease healthcare-associated infections across settings, hospital, nursing homes, Uh, home health in in every setting. And that's both locally and in the U.S. as well as worldwide. Indeed, we do have a worldwide presence and our authors come from the United States as well as from around the globe. And we want to be the the journal that is the go-to spot. With COVID-19 right now in the times of pandemic, we've been getting a lot of articles from First, we are coming from Asia with the, you know, the Chinese having the first, being the first epicenter. And they were able to help with some of the lessons they learned. And we hope that by publishing some of these articles, it helped infection preventionists in the United States that are now dealing with the problem of the pandemic. And, and we want to be the journal that can help you. Of course, we don't focus just on COVID-19. There's been a, a lot of focus lately uh, with reuse of PPE and, and things, but, you know, 
generally, we accept articles that demonstrate how to make an evidence-based case for staffing. Um, we, had, we had an article like that that I thought that was very important. So infection preventionists could use the model that they developed to say what their number of IPs should be in their hospital. Um, we're getting things from the CDC and from other authors about long-term care, about standardized incidence ratios, disinfection of endoscopes, disinfection generally in the hospital um, or other settings. So we really do want to be the go-to journal, and we I believe we are the go-to journal to provide evidence on your practice for infection prevention. So Pat, what would you suggest would be the best benefit for a professional in infection prevention from the AGIC journal? As I mentioned earlier, uh, AGIC is the professional journal for APIC. So as an APIC member, you should be getting your copy of AGIC monthly. Uh, what the benefits of reading AGIC is to, one, is understand the evidence, uh, the scientific evidence for your practice. But we also not only have original research articles, we also have the practice forums, which could be specific to a clinical problem that might be of interest. We have brief reports that are not a full, well-developed research study, but a short database article. The research committee of APIC also has Journal Club, which we publish a few times a year. And the Journal Club could be beneficial that you can read the article and read about the Journal Club and maybe do this within your own local chapter of APIC. And that's to help you understand not only the results of the science and how it can be applied, but understand the methods so you become a better critical consumer of research yourself. So hopefully that's helpful. We also have methodology minutes. Those sometimes are helpful about different types of research. We will, hopefully the podcast that we're doing right now will also be a benefit. We're looking to bring as much benefit to the infection preventionists as possible. If you have other ideas of how we could make AGIC a better journal to meet your needs, Let me know. I'd like to know that. So please let let us know. Thank you for sharing those benefits, Pat. Now let's move on to publishing. What would an IP need to have to have a successful path to successful publication? It's not easy to become an author when you're not used to writing. Most clinicians have been taught to write clinical notes, which are very short. And writing scientific articles is not an easy thing. So um, one of the things that I, I mean, we try to work with our authors. We really do. Sometimes we're overwhelmed and we can't, but we really, I have worked with some authors where they've gone out to revision four times because it just wasn't right at first, second, third, or the fourth time. Um, They just, we just had to get it right. But what we want to do if you want, if you're interested in being an author, I suggest you look, you know, first you need to have a research question and then you need to get the data and you need to be able to answer your research question. So infection prevention is no data, but do they know the scientific skills necessary? That's a fairly high level of skill needed to conduct a research study. But you can find somebody maybe in your facility, uh, in your network, in your local chapter of APIC that has published before a scientific article. And I encourage you to do that. There's also, 
at APIC, I know we were virtual this year, but we're also trying to help authors, you know, by having workshops on how to publish. The most important thing is a research article is very specific. You have the background, you have a very specific aim, you have your methods, which are only your methods. You have your results, which are your results, not commentary on the results. Then you have your discussion where you put what those results mean and how you interpret them and how they are similar or different than other other results already published. Uh, It's in some ways very boring writing. It's not creative writing in any way. It's scientific writing, Um, but it's a skill set. You know, there's an art to scientific writing uh, that takes a while to develop. Uh, We do try to work with our authors, but one of the things I think that is the best is to try to find somebody that has some of these skills and has um, successfully published. That will help you if you bring that person on early and collaborate with them. That'll help you become a better author yourself. And then in time, you'll be the senior person. I'm saying senior in quotation marks. You'll be the senior person that's helping the more junior person become the author. Um, We do want to see articles from practice that are rigorous and uh, generalizable and then will inform other people's practices. Great guidance, Pat. So now you are the chief editor for AJIC. What's new and what's exciting in the AJIC journal? And what do we expect to see? What's new and exciting at AJIC? Well, hopefully the podcasts are new and exciting. I hope people are enjoying the podcast. We wanted to try to make sure that we're as responsive as can be. We're trying to become more advanced in our social media um, and and be better Twitter users, tweet more often. Um, And the podcast, I think that that, that's exciting. We are looking at the editorial board and I'm getting input from the editorial board on what we can do to make sure that we have the most exciting journal possible that we have a good mix of scientific results and reports. We have seen a lot on COVID, although as I mentioned in an editorial a few months ago, the process of publishing AJIC or any journal should not be your first place to go for the results regarding COVID and the pandemic because that's changing so quickly. The process of getting something published, you know, it it goes out to review. You do want peer review that increases the uh, rigor. You allows you to be a little more confident in the results. But you, you know, really you should be getting your up-to-date COVID results of what you should be doing from the CDC or the World Health Organization uh, or even APIC. We do we are publishing a lot on COVID, but AJIC is not probably the first place that you should go for that. And we just would like to make sure that AJIC is going to be an exciting journal and while maintaining the rigor that's needed in science. And so, uh, as I said, we're working with the associate editors and the editorial board to make sure that we're meeting those needs and staying as relevant as possible. Final question, Pat. Would you comment on the interest in continuous education or structured training, for example, around cost-effectiveness, statistics, model building, electronic communications, and even building apps for infection prevention? Well, everybody needs to be a lifelong learner, and so continuous education is very important, especially now that we can be recertified through continuous education. 
that CBIC is letting us do that. Structured training on cost effectiveness, statistics, model building, those sort of things are important. And we do have methodology minutes in Asia, but if you really want good hands-on training, there's other places to get that. You know, there's workshops that can be done, um, both statistical workshops, research design workshops, cost effectiveness training <laughs> workshops um, that might be more helpful. So those those might be better places for the specifics of how you build a multivariate model, you know, and which statistics are appropriate to use or a cost-effectiveness model. Uh, regarding electronic communications and building apps for infection prevention, I think that that is very, very important. And I think we need to keep up with the technology. The technology is um, moving faster than we could think. And it's very important to keep up with this to get the education on, on it and the hands-on education about what's best. And there are good there are good structures for building apps, you know, and everything doesn't have to be programmed from scratch these days. So I think I think we need to keep up on the technology, knowing that technology is changing very quickly. And what we're able to do with the technology is actually mind-boggling for one of those gray-haired people like me. So it's very important that we keep up with this. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dr. Pat Stone, Chief Editor for the American Journal of Infection Control. Thank you so much for sharing your insight on the journal, its benefits, and for sharing your guidance on successful publication. Best to you in your new role. And now on to the summaries. We are reviewing two important publications from the September 2020 American Journal of Infection Control, both on C. diff prevention. The first paper titled, The Effect of Pulsed Zion Ultraviolet Light Disinfection on Healthcare-Associated Clostridiotes Difficile Rate in a Tertiary Care Hospital. The paper originated from Penn State Hershey Medical Center by the research team led by Dr. Kathleen Julian. The paper focuses on UV light activity and pathogenic bacteria, particularly C. diff. The paper reports the association of utilization of UV light disinfection on C. diff infection, or CDI. The paper had a nine-month observation prior to UV light utilization, followed by a nine-month observation after. Despite the fact that UV light was utilized in 87% of terminal room cleaning, there was no significant impact on CDI rates. The paper starts with explaining the impact of CDI on healthcare facilities. Methods describe the terminal room disinfection with sodium hypochlorite and other disinfectants. The authors also utilized fluorescent marker to detect the adequacy of manual terminal room disinfection. After the first nine months, UV light was utilized for terminal room disinfection with a five-minute runtime for position, and the room would have two or three positions of UV light. The transition to UV device use started October 2016 with a full implementation in January 2017. 
the manual terminal cleaning was deemed successful by checking fluorescent marker absence or removal in 87% of 5,610 high-touch surfaces versus 93.6% of 8,298 high-touch surfaces after UV light use. There was no difference in hospital-associated C. diff infection, or HACDI, rates associated with use of UV disinfection. The hospital-associated CDI was 1.57 and 1.61 per 1,000 patient days before and after UV disinfection use. Editorial comments by Dr. Mohamed Yassin. The paper published in AJIC September 2020 is another paper to add fuel to the debate of the actual benefit of UV disinfection in HAI prevention. I certainly agree with the author's conclusion that UV disinfection may not be of any additional benefit for hospital-associated CDI prevention. However, I have a few more points to highlight. The UV disinfection is of proven experimental benefit to kill C. diff spores with longer cycles than what is used in this paper. The UV disinfection may not be any additional benefit if the manual cleaning is excellent, as in this paper, around 90%. UV disinfection is likely a low-impact, high-cost intervention for endemic hospital-associated infection prevention. This paper is not addressing UV disinfection use as an adjunctive to manual cleaning in outbreaks. The second summary is on the article Reduction in Testing and Change in Testing Algorithm Associated with Degree and Number of Nosocomial Clostridiodes Clostridium Difficile Infection. The paper is published by the Infectious Disease Department of the University of East Carolina, led by Dr. Paul Cook. The paper addressed an important question about the impact of change of C. diff testing algorithm on rates of hospital-associated CDI, or hospital-associated C. diff infection. The common two-step algorithm is typically enzyme immune assay, or EIA, and glutamate dehydrogenase, GD. H, followed by nucleic acid amplification test, or NAT. Cell culture cytokine assay, CCA, is a sensitive and specific C. diff test that is rarely used in practice as it takes over 48 hours for results to be available. The two-step algorithm using nucleic acid amplification test, NAT, for discordant test results resulted in increase in the rates of CDI. This increase is possibly related to the inability of NAT to distinguish C. diff infection from colonization. The authors adopted two major changes. The first was to change NAT to C. diff toxin using cell culture cytokine assay, or CCA, as the second confirmatory step. The second was to recommend against C. diff testing in any patients receiving laxatives within 48 hours. These changes took place December 2018, and the authors measured the effect of these changes on CDI rates and antibiotic use before and after implementation. The main results are reduction in hospital-associated CDI rates of 16.5%. However, this effect was not statistically significant. The discordant results of EIA and GDH were 50% positive using NAT and only 35% positive using CCA. This shows the benefit of using cell culture cytotoxin assay or CCA over NAT to avoid labeling C. diff colonization as CDI. There was no effect on antibiotic use. Now for Dr. Mohamed Yassin's editorial comment. This study is interesting. 
relatively unique, but has the inherent bias of a retrospective analysis. The study has a very short time follow-up post-implementation, which raises flags of possible loss of initial benefit post-intervention. The CCA is labor-intensive and takes longer time, which has to be taken into consideration in making decision about C. diff testing algorithm. Finally, this study provides a new insight in the battle for reducing hospital-onset CDI rates. So I want to thank both research teams for their very insightful work on looking at hospital associates associated C. diff infection prevention. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you want to find out more, please go to the September 2020 edition of AGIC to read the full articles and find out more of what AGIC offers. From the American Journal of Infection Control and Infection Prevention Spotlight, thank you for all you do to prevent infections. Take care and remember, please wash your hands. Oh,